they had a magic shop. So when Disney World opened up, I figured, hey, I could go work there. Thinking this is a 13-year-old kid, like, scheming. And that was my plan. <laughs> so, but that didn't work out. They got raided. I got a job at the magic store, uh, an apprenticeship at the magic store on Main Street, uh, USA, in Disneyland. And they got wow. raided. Two days later, because the, I was a runaway. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so Disney did not want to have uh, any any part of that kind of stuff. This is Tokyo Tonight. Tonight. Agent, CIA agent. Agent is what I'm getting. You're a secret agent man, is what I'm <laughs> getting. Secret agent man. I want everything you I want to know it all, man. Well, uh, you left out the uh, uh part about working in pathology doing like four thousand autopsies, too. Oh <laughs> shit. That, that's more interesting than the CIA work. Wow. Oh, Holy that, fuck, man. Yeah, How yeah. Did, what, what were you like as a kid? Oh, uh, very weird. Oh, you want to know weird? Uh, the, I'm writing a book about it, but so I shouldn't give too much away. But okay, um, you know, I come from a really, really dysfunctional world, and my parents, my father was a uh, compulsive gambler and a alcoholic, and just like not a sane guy at all. Wow. And wow. so he was set on fire. He set himself on fire stealing jet fuel. <laughs> What? So, uh, set himself on fire stealing jet fuel from uh, JFK Airport. It was then Idlewild. What was he going to do with the jet fuel? Uh, he was going to put it in his car because he was racing street street racing. Oh, uh, okay. And so he it's burned himself diesel. up. And yeah, and he was somebody. The, the story was somebody near him was lighting a cigarette, and he went up. But the jet went up. Everything went up. And I think there's even some still uh, microchip news stories about this stuff oh my god the plane went up he went up he was in uh uh the hospital for two and a half years pretty much nothing but burn material and then when he got out um i was kind of like a welcome welcome back to reality uh (laughs) first night out of the hospital you know oh yeah good to see accident and so that's that's where i start from so you can imagine how uh how bad it gets from there you arose from the flames that's nice like a phoenix lost me they lost me at a a racetrack when i was three years old uh san anita racetrack in in, uh alhambra california holy shit lost where'd you go i ended up with a chinese family living for a week well, three days, four days. Uh, they, they literally lost you, like, not just for, like, an hour? like Yeah. And, and it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to the racetrack in October of 1962. Holy and they shit. actually uh, were more concerned about the horse coming in than keeping track of their three-year-old son. <laughs> and so I, I found some Chinese kid that I, I was playing with, and I, I was kind of um dark very dark complected and you know looked like uh i could fit in 
Wow. <laughs> and so ended up uh, playing with the kid and drifted off with him somehow. And his parents took me home. And I do remember, and as a three-year-old, you don't remember much, but I do remember being found and thinking, well, no, no, this is my home now. This is where I live. (laughs) This is my new family. I like it here. They cheat me well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How did, I mean, but back then, like, how the hell did anybody even figure out how to track you down? Uh, you, you know what? I don't know, but because they had no Amber Laws, then you know, none of right. People, and they went home. This is the we were visiting my aunt and my uncle out in California. Mm-hmm. They went home for the evening, like instead of like keeping the search up all night at the racetrack. Yeah, uh, we didn't find them. We looked. Uh, let's go have dinner. They just wound up, ado- <laughs> they just wound up, wound up adopting one of the horses, and they were like, This is mad. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He can count to 10. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty great. Holy shit, man. That is wild. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good to start off with the kids' stories. Um, Yeah. And there's a lot of that stuff, you know. Oh, my God. My upbringing was very, very strange. I grew up in a neighborhood that was either people who were criminals who wanted to be in the mob or people who had no connection to to that life at all but just made up the fact and played the part of criminals but we had you know, we had a lot of low level crime that was very disorganized crime not really um mafia but mafia wannabes and that was yeah, my yeah. entire um growing up except the guy who lived directly across the street from me. Uh, <laughs> he was, uh, he played Luca Brazzi in The Godfather. You know, oh, that? shit. Lenny Montana. Really? Yeah, yeah, wow. And he was the real deal. Yeah. He, wow. he, was, he was real. And uh, basically every week in front of his house, there would be a tractor trailer full of contraband. Holy Really? Fun. Yeah. And just like people would buy stuff, coats, pocketbooks, you know, ovens, whatever he had in the back of that truck (laughs) off the street. And cops would never say anything, never bother him or nothing. I mean, basically run a discount retail store out of a tractor trailer in front of his house. Yeah. I had an uncle who did that out of the trunk of his car. Yeah. Yeah. And he made a good living. I mean, everybody knew who he was. He would get the bet. He used to give me stuff. He gave me a watch once that I shouldn't have had when I was a kid um you know like a really like it was the weirdest thing all my friends in elementary school had like mario why you know like a smart thing whatever i had this fucking silver gold like with the thing in the face and it was a little too big and you know no then he gave me that and he gave me i used to he used to just give us a bunch of shit some of it would fall apart um, yeah. i remember he sold he sold knockoff like gucci bags to my cousins and you know they were all walking down the street and the strap would break and their shit would go rolling into 13th avenue <laughs> So, yeah, there was that shit going on. Yeah. Uh, well, because my father was like a bookie, mm-hmm. we were we were at, at either rich or poor, basically, yeah. week to week. You know, how the teams did. You were either very wealthy or very poor. So you'd go out and, and, and you know, new car, new stereo, new everything. Oh, take it all back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be careful, Tom. These guys are setting you up for a hit. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, I know. We're just we're, we're gonna get Tom involved. He'll take the fall. Who, whose comment was that? But <laughs> <laughs> he lives at. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy, man. So wait, what? So you're doing that when you were a kid, though? But did you know it? Because I feel like most kids don't 
like you don't know you're poor or you don't know you grew up in a fucked up family until you're older and someone goes you grew up in a fucked up family you know what i mean like did you know it when you were a kid did you feel i it? knew i knew very uh i was well aware uh, <laughs> my uncle rich uh came over one night i was five years old and for some reason my father had me and my mom wasn't home and you know as i mentioned my father is out there loose cannon crazy as as they can be and uncle rich comes over and he's 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 not really my uncle. He's one of these, uh, my father's cousin that we always called Uncle Rich. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and um, got a few he, of those. he's just angry. And I know he was angry at uh, something that happened. Uh, I had another uncle who got beat up as a bartender, beat up and robbed in Brooklyn. Wow. And he was pissed at that. And he was, kept telling my father, come on, Georgie, we got to do something about this. We can't <laughs> just let it lie. You know? And okay, take the kid, throw him in the back of the car. We're going. And uh, basically, they drove to Brooklyn. I'm in the back of the car, and they say they leave the car running, but they have a spare key. And they say, "You stay in there, car running." He said, "We don't come out. <laughs> you gotta learn to drive this thing." We're five years old, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> so Holy I'm in the shit. car, and, and uh, they go into the bar, and I hear five shots ring out: boom, 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 boom. And they come running out and get in the car. And start backing up, you know, typical like movie scene, backing into the car behind us, hitting the car in front of us, boom, boom, getting down, um, running down Atlantic Avenue, and shots are coming down. Put, put your head down. This is five <laughs> years old. So, yeah, I was well aware of shit. the life. Uh, and, Holy and, shit, man. Yeah, Uncle Rich was a real thing. Uncle Rich yeah. was a hitman, and his wow. father was a hitman before him and, and kind of generation grandfathered in uh the the position they were made men and part of uh part of a some organ i think gambino probably but i don't know right but I, I know it's weird i know like certain stuff peripherally like i know my dad's dad was like an enforcer uh for the mob or whatever which is funny because he would go like my mom my mom's great aunt and uncle my uncle was a gambler and then at one point before they even met, my dad's dad went over to his house to collect money because he was, you know, whatever. My other uncle, my dad's sister's husband was a bookie. So they always had money and she was pretty much taking care of the rest of his life. But he had like weird quirks too. He got my dad out of a bunch of jams. My dad's one of those dudes who like, you know, he, he went AWOL in the army. And when he went back home, his wife at the time ratted him out and told the army, like, come and fucking get Johnny boy. And then they went to get to get him. And then he got out of it again because he talked to the dudes who went to bring him back and told them something. And then he fucking got out of the army that way. He, he would do shit like, um, God, I think he owed the mob money at one point because they'd given him a bunch of money to do something. And my uncle, who's a bookie, had to get him out of it. And then right. so he went to talk to them about it and was like, don't fucking kill him. Like, yada, yada, yada. He'll make up for it. And then they wanted to see him. So my dad went back in and then somehow walked out with more money again and they were just like jesus fucking christ like he doesn't stop like it was that kind of shit he one time sold a building in brooklyn to <laughs> to people that he didn't know he didn't own the building yeah he had like he had a friend who had auctioned off a house and he, he owned a paper a small town publication and he auctioned off a house that wasn't his he just saw Holy it for sale yeah making bids on it and you could fucking do that shit back then because no one could google you no one fucking knew there was one time my my uncle told me this story there was a guy uh laying cement in brooklyn and driveways and my dad needed like $500 for whatever reason. And then so he saw the cement truck, 
climbed up one side of it and climbed down the other to make it look like he was working the cement thing. Some guy came over and was like, oh, you know, actually, we need mine redone. Would you do it? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, let me, he's like, you know, we're just finishing this job. Give me $500. I'll do the thing for you. He's like, all right, great. He gives him the fucking cash. My dad pieces out. The other guy comes back who's actually working the gig. And the guy goes, what, what are you packing up? I, I thought you were going to do my driveway. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, I gave your buddy $500. He goes, I don't have a buddy. I don't have a partner. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's what he used to do. There's a million stories like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amazing. So you you know what it's like. Yeah. I mean, so how'd you wind up becoming, though, I mean, uh, you, you're a man of many jobs. So what yeah. was the first thing you wanted to be when you were a kid? A uh, magician. Oh. Uh, and I, I did, I have that in my, that's where mind dog comes from. I mean, really, it was mentalism that I was doing. But there's a whole long path before we even get to that. I mean... <laughs> Because uh, the magician is part of why I uh, left home, too. But uh, at 14, uh, well, 13, I came home, and my parents were both in jail. came home from school, and both my parents were in jail. The FBI had come and, and Holy taken shit. Uh, my parents away. And um, that kind of was a signal that I had to get out of there and start taking care of myself. So 13 years old, I started thinking about what am I going to do? Walt Disney World was open, just opening up that year. Wow. And uh, I thought, well, I could, I could go learn to be a magician and work at Walt Disneyland. This is a 13 year old kid thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I um, got why a, a magician. Did you see one on TV that you liked or what was the. You... Uh, well, Blackstone was, was a big uh, influence. But then uh, I became a mental, you know, into mentalism and into Kresge, George Kresge. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so uh, I made plans with a friend. It took me about six months to a year to get the, the money together but uh instead of getting on a school bus take me to eastern airlines i'm going to buy a one-way ticket to orlando florida i'm going to go rent a uh, trailer down there and live in a trailer and work in <laughs> in uh walt disney world so i did that's incredible yeah okay, instead what year of going, was that that uh, i'm thinking 73 72 70 there's no were you around i mean you weren't around when um no 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 when did steve martin start working there uh, well, Steve Martin was in Anaheim in California in 64, 65. Okay, he worked that's at what it was. Disneyland. He worked at Disneyland, Disney not yeah. World. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I had been to Disneyland lots of times, which is where I got, I had knew the layout, Main Street, USA. I knew they had a magic shop. So when Disney World opened up, I figured, hey, I could go work there, thinking this is a 13 year old kid, like scheming. And that was my plan. <laughs> So, but that didn't work out. They got raided. I got a job at the magic store, uh, an apprenticeship at the magic store on Main Street, uh, USA in Disneyland. And they got wow. raided two days later because the, uh, I was a runaway. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so Disney did not want to have uh, any any part of that kind of stuff FBI holy shit so i basically ended up picking oranges and going to night school put myself through high school uh picking oranges at starting at like four o'clock in the morning uh and then going to all day and then going to night school four o'clock in the afternoon covered in black pesticide <laughs> this that was my life and living wow. in, living in a trailer in a trailer park a trailer that i rented for 25 dollars for a week and that, uh, and that was my existence. Oh my God, man! Yeah. And what were you studying when you went to school? Well, th that was high school. That was you know basically um, general high school. Right. Um, 
but when I so when I went to college, I went to, for journalism. That was going to be my major. I don't know. I felt like I was a good writer, and I thought mm-hmm. communications and journalism were, were where I was going to fall back on somehow. But um, right, never really ended up using any of that. Really, no, no. I mean, to, uh, to blogging and stuff like that. But no, I, I and I well, did like you want to be like a field reporter? Like, did you want to go out into the like and actually travel with it? I want to write a be, paper. No, I I wanted to be a rock star like Geraldo Rivera was in New York at that time, breaking breaking big like ridiculous stories. That gotcha, you know. yeah. gotcha. I was thinking like Hunter S. Thompson. You went guy. Yeah, I got <laughs> no, you. No. I was like, oh, you wanted to like write a little bit, travel. Yeah, no, like Willowbrook stories like that. You know those those. You know. Yeah, yeah that's cool though. And then you yeah. gave that up, and then did what? Then I wore. I went out to New Mexico and I uh, worked on a cattle ranch to put myself through school out there. And, and basically, so uh, and when, and when I started working on a ra- cattle ranch, I started writing a lot more, like writing a lot more music and performing in like uh, local bars and stuff like that. Nice. And that led to me wanting to put together a band. Uh, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going back to Long Island and I'm going to put together a rock band. Uh, kind of um you know be fat life in the entertainment world in the rock star world so in so from your teens to what you went from new york to to florida Florida. to new mexico right back to long island back to in the span of what and a little bit about three months in california in in the meantime between new mexico and back to uh uh, New York, where uh, basically cool. that was the plan there. First, I was going to start. We tried to go on the gong show. <laughs> you that's what we went out to California for, and right. that failed. So I said, oh, I'll go back to Long Island and put the band together. Holy that- fucking shit, man. <laughs> that is wild. Gong show, waiting in line for the gong show, um, and there was an earthquake, and we never got to go on the gong show. Yeah. Oh, my wow. God. Yeah. Wow. That's fucking You know who nuts. who was there? Um the guy Spaz in the movie Grease. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I uh, can't re- but he was actually yeah, on my was show. Somewhere. He was on he was there the same day. He was on he auditioned for the Gong show that oh, very my same God. day. <laughs> so what kind of band were you? Um Probably not unfocused is the best way I could <laughs> really um because we like so many different kind of uh, kinds of music, and I was basically a folk writer, mm-hmm. but I liked the Beatles. I liked Steely Dan. I liked Black Ooh. Sabbath. I liked Led Zeppelin. I yeah. liked um, disco, Bee Gees, and all that stuff. So we started basically just trying to be a, a four-piece band, you know, Beatles in- instrumentation. But every song I would I would write. I'd be like, let's experiment a little, you know, get some horns in there, get, you know, organ, whatever. Before you knew it, grow into a, like a 13-piece band. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and but with no real, no real defined sound because we, I was trying to do everything I heard, everything I liked. I wanted to write something like or in some way emulate that stuff. And I'm very good at writing songs that are sound like a ripoff. Oh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They're that yeah. close. It's not direct plagiarism. It's just influence that is way too heavy. Wow. You know what I mean? If you know what I mean. So yeah. well, somebody will say, that sounds like a Beatles song. That sounds like a Zeppelin song. That's, 
everything I do, or at least when I was younger, especially everything I did had that. You can tell the influence without having to guess at all. Right. And Wait a minute. I think we skipped a part though, too. So you're in you're in New Mexico doing the cattle ranch thing, and that's when you decided to do go into music. But where would the, the music interest come from? Where did what come from? Where did the interest in music come from? Like where did the impetus to oh, go? That was, I think I could start a band. That was uh, that was always there. Well, because I was writing so much. I've always been writing music from the time I was seven years old, I think I wrote my first song. So I've been writing consistently. Yeah. But when I was working in the cattle ranch, I started to write a lot more cowboy songs and, nice. and, and and go out and play those in bars and stuff and so that was that was the idea and then people kept saying you should have your own band um and i looked like cat stevens at the time <laughs> you look at me like that what <laughs> i looked like cat wow. stevens at that time a long hair shaggy hair and beard and uh was doing like the folk singer but cowboy singer thing and nice. you know that kind of was my thing and so, but and so that was the idea behind putting together a band. But then it grew into a band that was a rock band. Uh, the band name was Europa, and oh. that was named after a Carlos Santana song. And so wow. it was like, and we were a big band, like the, like Santana's band, and we actually opened for them for a while, and went went on the road with them for a little while. But that is so. Awesome. It was. It was. The music, and you know this, all show business, they want to put you in a box. And yeah. if you refuse to be in that box, make it easy for people to label you and say, this is your sound. It's mm -hmm. really hard to do business that way. And that was our yeah. biggest, you know. So I was frustrated with that. And, but I kept up with it for, you know, through my 20s, a, a, lot, a lot of it in my 20s. And then That's awesome. um, got into radio around that time, late 20s, when... Um, I kind of switched gears for a while. That band broke up, mm -hmm. and I went to West Virginia. <laughs> wow. And I was playing in a bluegrass band uh, and with a bunch nice. of old guys. So I'm like 26, 27, and um, the guys in the band, the young, youngest guy close to me was like 43, but the other guys were in their 60s and stuff, you know, at the age I am now, and they were just old men, yeah. old hillbillies. And so I was playing bass with them and learning to play authentic hillbilly music and they were Holy working they, they were working a lot uh, right. blue ridge mountain blue ridge mountain magic band uh and, but they're all dead now <laughs> they're all <laughs> alcoholics but they were like hardcore real bluegrass um and authentic hillbilly music and, then, and you know some people get offended by the term hillbilly they they would see it as a, a term of endearment you know, hillbilly was sure. something to be respected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not putting people down in West Virginia. Please, no, no hate now. I'll take care of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me handle West Virginia. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's cool, man. Do you have any of the uh, any of the album? Did you put anything out? Like, do you still have the music and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I got um, actually uh, have in the last two years have been putting together a lot more material. Basically, you know, at this point just go straight to streaming i have been doing some cds sure. and actually but they we either sell cds at a uh, a gig and then people are like oh, this is nice makes a nice coaster i mean who's yeah. what do you play this in right oh, oh yes we don't have cd players anymore <laughs> right right i know amazing. it's crazy it is it's, it's amazing how quickly those things went away yeah so the the choice is vinyl, which is expensive. And listen, you know what? Yeah, um, too much. At this point, I haven't. You know, I've 
I haven't built up like rock star uh, credibility with it. So mm. nobody's going to buy an expensive vinyl from a guy who's just got local appeal and only local people know them. You know what I mean? It's, I'm asking people to invest $25, $30 for uh, an album. That's that that's different than, you know, right. well, you know, $10 for a CD or something like Is that. Is it hard to get your stuff on Spotify at this point? No, not at all. It's hard to keep it hard to get it off when they when that whole uh, Neil Young thing was going on. Right. Yeah. You know what? And I I didn't want to take it off just for that reason. Basically, I feel like they they rip people off anyway. And I've been saying that for a long time. Yeah. But so when they were doing it, I said, you know, this is a good time for me to actually see if I could actually do this. Get it. And no, it's not that easy to get your no. music off. I guess you have to have record label pull now because once it's out there, once those uh, feeds get in there. Um, we had a guest on who had gotten divorced, changed her last name, and then changed her whole name to like something different that she wanted to be known under. And yeah. it was still coming up under her married name. Yeah. And then she was like, but the, the label was like, well... That's how people know you. So, and right. she's like, oh my God, like, does it fucking matter? Like, just put the same song out under, you know, like, it was only the last name that changed. She didn't change her whole first name. She didn't cat Stevens herself and go to you, you know, <laughs> like, it's still the same first name. Just fucking flip it around. Oh, well, that but, I do that have that too. But uh, you mentioned in the, uh, uh, in the previous program that you guys did about copyrights, I get blasted all the time for cop- for playing Crazy. my own music, for Nuts. playing my- all the time. Yeah, it's, it's ins- because you know why it's fucking AI and there's nobody really working anything. So you're not even communicating with real people. You can't. I mean, the amount of times I've disputed it and I'm like, that's the dude playing the song. He's right in the goddamn video. Like, you know, whatever it is. Nobody responds to that. Right. Yeah. And it's like you can you can just do it. We had our stuff. I had a problem with Apple recently. Um, they weren't uploading the podcast episodes. They don't have a phone number. And oh, you yeah. can call, you can call Apple, but they're like, oh, that's that division you have to email. And I'm like, well, how many fucking times do you want me to that's email? That's infuriating. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, you really telling me that there's like, what, you know, what, what, what are they, the untouchables? Like, why the fuck can I contact these nerds in an office? You know, right. because they're, there's probably two and the rest is all AI. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and yeah. So, and the copyright strike, uh, the strike I got for content that was really weird too, to prove your point that it's not a human because I got a copyright strike for spreading misinformation when I was playing <laughs> a, a Joe Rogan clip and pointing out the misinformation that he was putting out wow. and saying that this is all, well, this is wrong. And I said, and I wrote back to my appeal. I said, listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying that he's saying, get, putting out the misinformation and I'm well, sorry, your appeal has been denied. I was like, you didn't even listen. You didn't even listen. No, not at all. They don't even <laughs> fucking care. It's insane. Yeah. Um, I'm like, you know what I found a loop around to that is Instagram. I don't know how active you are on there. They don't really check um, copyright shit too much. I posted because I like to take guests that we've had on and sometimes splice. If they're talking about a specific song, I'll like splice the what they have to say about it and then play the song. And like, I'll edit it together. Facebook immediately mutes it takes it down yeah. even though facebook owns instagram instagram doesn't do it i don't know why but i don't mind it yeah no i don't mind it either i mean uh any especially if it's your own music it's just so absurd yeah man. i can't believe that your own music is getting pulled from that kind of shit <laughs> like it's insane to me. i don't even I, understand like like you know i would make a video with friends back in the day and if we had like music playing in the background at a party 
we wouldn't be able to post the video because they'd be like, oh, it looks like you're hitting playing the 80s hits of the whatever. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like, but I, I did buy the CD. So just fuck off. I'm not making money off of it. Yeah, but they don't even read their own emails they send to you because my emails literally say, this song, dear Matt Napo, this song is copyrighted by Matt Napo. So good. <laughs> you need to street. You need to. I, I have many times. It's all over my. Every time it happened, or well, I, I used to do it every time it happens. Now it's just happened so often that I just got exhausted doing it. Doesn't but, matter anymore. Yeah, like Matt Napo, and I highlighted it and send it back to him. Like, look, Matt Napo, Matt Napo. Do they look similar? <laughs> Underlining it. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So wait, so you were saying you went from to West Virginia, you were playing in the Bluegrass Group, and then you got into radio. Yeah, I was doing both at the same time because there is where I discovered radio because there they played a lot of uh, small time radio stations as part of the gigs before they they played everywhere. But uh, they play a nursing home and then a bar on a Saturday night. But before wow. the nursing home, they would play a radio the local radio station, which would really be like in a house on a hill and the guy. <laughs> and so I I got fascinated with radio then. So when wow. that thing fell apart and, and I was I was learning r radio from one of the guys who was a fan of the band who, uh, who ran one of those local radio stations and I was learning everything I could about it. And when I got back to Long Island, I decided that I would try that uh, on my own and basically uh, go to a radio station and say, I can sell you time. Uh, I'll sell the sponsors. You just give me the time. Uh, wow. And basically we started doing an overnight show on an oldies AM station that I knew they had no, they weren't getting any revenue for that time. Anyway, right, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I did that and it was very successful. And then because I was really good at selling advertising uh became the darling of the lady who owned the station because she was bought everything she, it was an oldie station by that time they had no listenership nobody was selling any advertising except that crazy old guy on and so i and i it was really like pirate radio i mean i because i did not have any bosses that's awesome I, and people were saying well you're a stern wannabe because this is when howard stern was kind of just making his uh his bones in radio and right uh, like being a shock jock and all that, but I wasn't a, that. I was crazy, but not shock jock issue. Uh, I was. You were having... a Wolfman Jack. I did a lot of playing oldies music and did some really silly stuff with that. But mostly, yeah. mostly my stuff was having like I had uh, a guy on who would claim to be on the Philadelphia Experiment and, and uh, be. When when the ship came back to visibility, he was lodged in the deck, but he had a soul transfer at that point and split into this other guy, Duncan Cameron. And both of them came on my show at the same time, uh, Ed Balick and Duncan Cameron. And they would both claim to be on the Philadelphia Experiment. Wow. And Duncan uh, told me straight face that he, during his soul transfer uh, procedure that <laughs> And he went to Mars and met Elvis and Jesus on Mars. Oh, nice. Uh, and, and so, but I would make fun of this stuff in like, cause I was like, a, you know, in my late twenties, I was, and still like kind of very immature. So I would kind of just like embarrass these guys and make fun of them and all this stuff. Had psychics on the show and they do readings for people, but the <laughs> readings, the readings they were calling in were all my friends and the psychics would be, and they would be like, they're like, no man, you're not even close. You, where, who told you you were psychic? You don't even know. <laughs> you know, That's the guy great. would, and so, but then I'd say, you know what? I think I could, 
I'd like to try this. Can I give hey Joe? Can I give you a reading? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then he, holy crap, I, my dog, you were incredible. I can't believe you know all this stuff about That's me. That's hilarious. But the psychics would be they'd be hip to it by the time it was over and get pissed and yeah. throw shit at me and like start fights and, and all the oh stuff would go God. down on the air. So you'd hear like fist fights. Oh my <laughs> God. That's incredible. Do you have any of the old tapes? No. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I I lost the house, uh, the the perfect storm uh, oh. of 1992. A, a flood took my house, and most of my master tapes from uh, all my early music career, uh, video stuff, because I had a television show right at, at the same time. I had the radio show. Holy shit! So yeah, um, so I lost all that stuff. But... Wow, what was the television show? Mind Dog, the, the Mind Dog, the Magnificent Show. That's oh, nice. the opening that I have on on the podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog Magnificent Show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was the intro from from the television show. Wow, man. Yeah, yeah, and that's the time that I started working for the CIA. But I was not an agent. I was a courier, uh, and basically Same a courier. Thing. A courier is a guy who takes a package from one place to another and not supposed to look at it, not supposed to touch it, not supposed, you know, basically. But you looked, right? You're on air, John. I knew what was in it. Okay. Statue of limitations. No, I knew what was in it, but it was pretty strict. I can tell you that uh, there was a time when I stopped at a gas station. and exchange tapes with the guy who was a bass player in another band. I, I think it was a Grateful Dead tape that he gave me. And I, uh, wow. I'm driving down the expressway and all of a sudden get surrounded by black vans pull over. And it's uh, it's basically uh, the Department of Defense checking up on me, saying, "What's that? what was that exchange back there? So they were watching, you know. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty. How did you explain that away? I said it was a bass player in the band, and basically we I given him a tape. He's given me a tape, and <laughs> you want to listen to it. But basically, yeah, it was, it was. Um, that is nuts. Were there any yeah. like close calls? Well, like what? Close like calls. delivering a package where like it went like the wrong way. Oh no, 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 but no, okay. uh, no uh, but I would use the van because they would basically supply me with a van. And I would use that to do band gigs. And so uh, basically, okay, you're taking a package from Long Island, New York to Fort, uh, to Lawton, Oklahoma. Okay, mm-hmm. what gigs can we get on the way from here to Lo- Lawton, Oklahoma and on the way back? So we could wow. just take the packages, drive them there, drop them off, and take my two buddies with me, do three-piece gigs. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. So they didn't. They didn't. They didn't care as long as the package got delivered. Were yeah, you yeah, yeah. They didn't. Yeah, That's pretty cool. As, yeah, as long as the packages got delivered, and basically, I had like places I went, um, you know, pretty often with nuclear sub bases and stuff like that up in uh, wow. Connecticut. And, but yeah, um, but did it you was, ever want to move up in that? Like, did you have any interest in it? Oh no, no. I wanted to use the van to, to get to get. That's pretty great. That's basically all it was. You know, it was a paycheck because I asked. I like all of these things. I answered an ad in in a help wanted ad. Driver wanted. Driver wow. wanted. Oh, I could drive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to play mm-hmm. in a band, and basically, I need some money to come in while I'm. <laughs> yeah. While I'm putting the band together. So basically, that was it. So yeah, you want to drive? Yeah, sure. You you don't know who you're driving for. <laughs> What do you mean? Right. <laughs> oh my god, that is fucking crazy, man. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yeah, well, I I know I delivered to the the jail that Epstein died in. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. What was it? I mean, was it like an in and out type of thing, or like, did you know who you were delivering to? No, it depends. No, it was never just an in and out uh, thing. It was generally you'd have to call security, wait, they'd come down. Uh, You'd often be like frisked or interrogated at least a bit, and then depending on how much stuff you had, like it could be an envelope, it could be a microchip. Or it could be ninety boxes of uh, that, you know, big cartons that you have to deliver. So wow. depending on what it was, sometimes you'd be there all day. Like Brooklyn Navy Yard, I was often there. You know, basically twelve hours, fourteen hours, or something. How do you get out of? I mean, did you just quit when you were done, or did, you know? Can't I imagine beat, that's an easy thing to leave. I beat up uh, my, <laughs> I beat up my supervisor, and uh, basically was fired. <laughs> Why did you beat him up? Because he had a temper. He, he he had a temper and basically just yelled at me the wrong way at the wrong moment. And I was a hot. I had a temper too, and basically don't like to be, you know, humiliated and put in a place like that. And as a kid, that was my go-to thing. Like, okay, you're going to get gorilla on me. I'm going to get bigger gorilla on you. <laughs> and then you know, wasn't I wasn't never claimed to be all that smart. <laughs> <laughs> but oh that, that was the go-to for my yeah my youth and into That's my crazy man i had the the temper well into my 40s how'd you and get rid of it i think just the natural time and and it's like a, it eroded uh testosterone dropped Ta- testosterone drops and you've broken enough you've broken your wrist enough times you've broken enough glass of doors and 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 walls and all that kind of stuff and it gets expensive and there's sooner or later you just think twice and you say i don't want to break my fist and 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 spend six hundred dollars fixing whatever i'm going to break right now sure yeah (laughs) so yeah and the testosterone thing definitely plays into it yeah fuck man that's wild yeah i I feel like when i was a kid i was like that too i had way more like like aggressive energy whereas right. as i've gotten like as i've gotten older it's like kind of same thing like you don't want to patch another wall like i don't <laughs> want to patch that well <laughs> so i listened to you guys talk uh to titus a little bit i caught a little bit of that and it seemed like he had uh a bit of road rage going on and yeah i yeah. i definitely um re- relate to that in a big way because i had that and i still have it in certain you know I, but i'm not violently road raging like i was yeah. when i was in my youth but i it haunts me that i know i have it coming yeah yeah i know it's coming back to me if some young kid 23 years old i'm gonna cut him off and he's gonna get out and he's gonna give me the beating of my life <laughs> <laughs> and all i could do is say i knew i had it coming <laughs> he's like he's not even fighting back this isn't even fun yeah well i got pulled over like that once on the way to the studio to make a record with a group called rs and the crabs like 1981 and uh the guy thought i cut him off but he was in a he was in a parking lane on the side of a street and i passed him and he was just i didn't know he wasn't even in the car and i went to make a right on a road and he must he perceived that as me cutting him off I wasn't cutting him off. He was in the right. parking lot. But he Jesus. pulled out around me, you know, did one of those uh, police stops, got, gets out right in front of me, jumps out of the car with his gun in his hand and a, a badge. I don't know if it was a fake badge. And he's drooling, 
drool coming from the mouth, puts the gun right to my head. You fucked with the wrong guy. Holy uh, shit. And, and the, the guy next to me who was the singer in the band starts trying to talk to him. Like, listen, mister, you, you got to dig your head. You got to calm oh. down. He didn't mean anything. And I'm just like, I just drove away. <laughs> I left them there. And Holy uh, shit. we go to the studio. We play, we play the song. Basically got it in one take. Uh, Listen to the mix and got in the car and driving home and it's dark out now. And uh, from the back, I hear the, the drummer say, I can't believe that guy was going to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, my God. No big deal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, But I know I have it coming. I know I got it coming. And it, it haunts me. It definitely does. I'm definitely a character in a, in a Clint Eastwood movie. At the <laughs> like, I, yeah, we all got it coming, kid. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. What was that? I mean, so you did the radio stuff and whatever. What was your final, like, would you ever, did you ever feel settled finally or no? Well, no. When I lost the radio show, I thought my life was over. Uh, wow. Just, I, I loved the radio show. And I, I, I envisioned big plans for it. Yeah. But my temper got the best of me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And in that, I guess, I basically uh, too many f bombs in one sitting uh, to cover up for no seven second delay, and basically um, got fired from that. But also, word got around uh, to the other AM stations that were doing talk at the time that you know this guy's gonna. He have you heard his show? <laughs> he, gets in, <laughs> he gets in fights with people. In the, <laughs> it's weird air. how it works for some like 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 a shock thing would work for some people and then like you they were like no we're not gonna let him do it yeah 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 that's well with am radio it would work if for fm at that time you know that's the time that uh stan was dealing with getting kicked off of nbc and having to go to um to fm radio right around that late 80s early right. 90s stuff and um that was the time that am was trying to clean up its act get more conservative you know rush limbaugh's time and all that kind of stuff so um it was bad timing on my part yeah. for that stuff but uh no that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be uh a cross between uh what stern was doing what um you know um what's his name um uh, Bell, Art Bell. Oh, uh, Art Bell. Wow. And, and uh, Wolfman Jack and a little bit of, you know, all that kind of stuff all rolled into one. A little bit of a little bit of comedy, a little bit of music, a little bit of paranormal nut, nut job stuff. And Well, it fits you naturally. I mean, I've only known you in this way right now. You know what I mean? Like doing yeah. that kind of stuff. So I could see it, man. You got to, you know, it's, it seems like it's right up your alley. That's how, why after 40 years or 35 years away from it, I finally decided this is what I got to do. I got to get podcasting is like radio, but they can't fire you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but you can't really get into fights with people either. Or, or right. and but I have I have on one time on on the podcast got who? into a, uh, a a psychic who wanted to tell me that the other psychics I were were having on were frauds and I shouldn't have them on and uh, oh they're God. like they're spreading bad information and all this stuff and I got uh, I was calm at first I said you know I disagree I, I'm open I'm keep I encourage people to keep an open mind in this if I'm gonna let you speak I have to let them speak I yeah. do think they're all fucking crazy I think you're crazy I said that to him oh, I thought you believed uh, no he said you lost you lost your mind now man I said no I never claimed to be a believer in what you said yeah, you're just talking to people <laughs> and, and yeah. basically I say uh, keep an open mind that's all I'm saying and don't say yes and don't say no but he got angry 
And wow. so it ended up with me telling him, fuck you, get off my show, push the button, and he was gone. And I haven't heard from How long yeah. have you been doing this? Uh, well, three years now with this rendition of the podcast and the uh, coffee show, six six months or something. The morning That's show. Awesome. The morning show is where I want to take it. The morning show is. Oh, where... my God. You're good at doing the morning shit, man. I, I'm not at all. <laughs> I, I drag in the morning. I mean, once I mean, you know, it depends when when I'm on with you and stuff like that. And, you know, you get everybody going. I feel like I'm fine. But, man, it's fucking I'm not good at mornings. I'm the same way. I never I would never imagine myself being uh, ready for the morning. But I think that the show wakes you up. They're just doing it. Does. It, it, it kind of gets you going. Well, even when, I mean, especially some of the topics and stuff like that you're talking about. If you get your brain going at nine o'clock in the morning, if you have somebody like we had Michael Hilliard on, you know, but if you got somebody like yeah. that on in the morning, you can't help but just fire off, you know, get your brain going. It's crazy. That's hard to get good guests in the morning. It's hard. It's yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to get up early. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. they're all, I'm in the East Coast, so it would be different if I was doing a morning show in in California. I could get people in New York getting who are now awake and kind right. of. <laughs> you gotta you gotta go for the guys in uh, the UK, man, because they're usually you know they're usually already it's late by them, but it's early yeah. for us. Yeah. It's midday, full stride. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Or Australia, where it's already nighttime and they're. They're feeling like it's a nighttime program. Exactly. You know, it can, it yeah. can be loosened up. Michael's really good when he's loosened up. And because, and, you know, he, you know him. He's very smart and very um, educated. But uh, I think with, with me, and I think I caught a few minutes of it with you, he, stu- he gets the feeling that uh, he can be a little more of himself than yes. he has to be on the Red Line podcast. And he can actually loosen up a little bit. I think yeah, that's absolutely. where he shines. He really shines with that stuff. Man. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting guy. Hilarious and super smart about all that kind of shit. It's yeah. good. You know, it's weird. It's like, it's nice to know these people that we wouldn't otherwise know without the internet. You know what I mean? And the use of doing this, because again, wh- when am I going to get to talk to somebody who's like an expert in Ukraine? You know, I, they're not, I'm sorry. They're not on the standup scene. So right. you know, it's like, it's yeah. a weird, it's weird, but it's really nice. Yeah. You never dabbled in comedy, right? Uh, I did. I actually uh, tried standup and um, here's the deal. You know, it was at the time that I was also doing, I was doing wedding bands. It was the same time I was doing the Europa thing, but I was also doing wedding bands and mm-hmm. basically making my living, making more money doing wedding bands. And what I had to do was take a night off from the wedding band thing to go work at, uh, Konkama comedy club, which is uh, oh, yeah. here on Long Island. And basically it was a bringer. You had to bring five people. And if I had to bring five people, they weren't coming unless I paid for their drinks or dinner. Sure. And so now I've taken the night off. I'm losing money there. <laughs> I'm buying five people drinks and dinner. And, and so I'm losing $300, $400 every time I go to do three minutes. Sure. And so eventually it didn't take long for me to say, that's a nice dream. But, but you have a lot of comedians that are friends. How would you wind up hooking up with those guys? Because I have a lot of comedians that I really I want to get close to, and I just kind of uh, because I love Stalk them. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I want to talk to them. I'm a, I'm a fanboy. I'm a big fan of, of uh, comedy in general, and I love different um, approaches to the art form. I love the uh, that you know because let's face it, in comedy there are so many uh, there are so many different styles, but they don't get 
forced into this whole it's all comedy in music it's you're a folk singer you're a, you're yeah. a disco singer you're a jazz singer whatever uh I, in comedy there are no genres and i like that because you never know what you're going to get and you can expose yourself to wow i never thought i would be into that brand of comedy and and, and but that guy really knocked me out or that girl really knocked me out that's you know that that's a great experience. So I yeah. just love I love comedy. I love comedians. You know, I'm I force myself on them. Do you go to Did you go to a lot of shows back in the day? Like, did you run into them when you were with the band and stuff? No, I did. I did when later on in my corporate corporate career, I did produce shows and videotape oh, them shit. for Knitting Factory Television. And um, you know, I worked for Cablevision. Okay. When cable when the cable modems were first taken off broadband. And they mm -hmm. wanted to highlight why people should uh, invest in a cable modem as opposed to dial-up modems. And right. so one of the ideas that the corporate guys came up with, because they owned the Wiz. Nobody, nobody beats nobody the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah. Well, you could buy your cable modem, by the way. <laughs> and so they got this idea. We'll put on comedy shows in Nobody Beats the Wiz during lunch hours, weekdays. And we'll have Matt and his crew go there, tape it, and put it on television because they own all these television stations as well. So we go there and do tape. People are shopping. It's lunchtime. Right. And these comics were going up on stage and, and doing 15, 20 minutes, and we'd have four of them. And basically, it was torture. It was torture. Wow. And I was filming it all, three-camera shoot, directing it all. And I would do it every day of the week for like, I, it lasted like eight months so i got to know a lot of comics a lot of new york comics at that point and, holy and really, shit <laughs> that's crazy that's awesome i forgot about the knitting factory yeah. that's awesome man yeah i feel yeah, like but, you were always constantly on the forefront of something that was going on <laughs> hanging out you know time. i'm like yeah one of those characters the zealot characters that was always present right when some, uh, if i would have taken advantage of it or capitalized on opportunities i could be somebody <laughs> well i mean <laughs> that's so great <laughs> yeah what did you were you were you happy overall with like you know being able because that's a lot man that's a, that's a, that's it you've had like several different careers were you would you consider yourself satisfied Fuck that no. you tapped almost every market you wanted to or no Fuck no oh uh, man you know I what i still haven't found what i'm looking for thank you bono oh uh, there you go <laughs> I, I still haven't found what i'm looking for i mean i love the what i'm doing now and i'm it's not like uh but i want to write the book i want to get the book finished and uh hopefully um what are you, you gonna know, call do, it uh talking to strangers oh nice <laughs> that's fun what i do yeah nice <laughs> um, and it basically starts at three years old, talking to strangers. That little kid, that the little Chinese kid that took me home. Yeah. Uh, that was talking to strangers. So basically, uh, that, that's where it comes from. But yeah, it's what I do. It's, and it defines almost everything that happened in my life is basically, well, comes off of that. Uh, e it's easier for me to talk to a room full of strangers than a friend one-on-one, -on -one. to sit down with mm. somebody I've known all my life and have a heartfelt conversation, deep, real, co meaningful conversation, can't do it. But if I get, like, in this format, I can do it, and, and with people that uh, who are prepared to have that kind of, kind of conversation and aren't afraid by it and saying, uh-oh, we're not going to get too deep, you know? Are we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's always been easier for me to talk to strangers than the people i love the most the people i you, you know 
know yeah. the best. Yeah, because you also don't have to see them again. You know what I mean? Like if it's a stranger, <laughs> you talk to them for a little bit, you unload all your shit, and then you're like, all right. See you at the bus station tomorrow, you know, and you never show up again. Yeah, I think that's yeah. so true. Like I went on that trip one time where I just I was talking, I was connecting really deeply with people, but it's because of the anonymity. It's because mm-hmm. you wouldn't just open up if you weren't anonymous. Right. But because you'll never see that person again. They would tell you the most outrageous things about themselves that they probably never share to somebody that they knew, you know, that they know they're gonna see again. Yeah, I'd do it to the people on the other end of nine hundred numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're like what are you looking for i'm like well honestly when i was a kid <laughs> hugs, well, hugs. Uh, my brother had uh somebody call oh no my brother called me up but somebody who called him up uh my brother called me up and said what are you telling all our stories what i know <laughs> somebody listened to your podcast and said what are you i never knew you were a criminal because i told the story about when my parents were arrested and my my older brother was he was the adult at home, and he was he liked me. He had a temper, and he attacked the FBI guys. And they oh. said, "You better you better you better simmer down, or we'll take you and your little brother too." They had wiretaps on the house, and basically he was doing some criminal activity, and I was dealing drugs at the time. So oh they were like, we'll, "We'll take the whole family." <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> but I put that on on my podcast. On not I was a guest on somebody else's podcast. Actually, this guy Jerry Brazzy, and uh, some a friend of his heard it. Wow. Say, wow, I heard your brother telling me all your family stories on there. I never knew you were a criminal. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious, man. Holy so, shit. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait till he finds out about the book. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, yeah. Change his name. You have you have no idea how, how much more. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude. Yeah. Crazy shit, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but with that, you know, because talking about playing in the Wiz, did you ever play any of those? Did you ever play shows in like just the weirdest yeah. uh, situations? Oh, my God. Venue? Uh, I played a show in a laundromat. Um, I played. Oh, yeah, that was fucking a winning. That was a good self-esteem boost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't really, oh, you know, what's funny. My manager one time. Out of the blue, booked me at a cluck you. Do you know what those are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't. So it, my friends and I at this point, I didn't really need to play it, but it was also like they're willing to pay and it's in town. Why don't you do it? And I was like, Is this are you sure you're my manager? So I was like, Yeah, all right, whatever. And it was right next to this bar that we used to go to, too. So I told him, my my one friend is like, I know I haven't gone to a lot of shows, but I'm not gonna miss this one. And I was like, <laughs> Fuck you, dude. So I'm like, yeah, let's just go. We're all going to go. So we go to the Cluck You, and I get there like a half an hour before the show. And it's a, it's, I don't know if you've ever been in one, if nobody's been in one, it's just one room. Like there's no back area. The tables are kind of set up. So I get in there and I'm like, there's no stage. And then I'm looking around and there's like parents, kids. I was like, okay. So I go up to the counter and I'm like, hey, guy, uh, I'm the comedian, and he's like, "Yeah, what do you, what, what do you want?" And I'm like, "I don't want to order. Like, I'm the you have a there's a comedy show, and I've like pointed to this flyer, and he was like, "Hey, man, listen, I'm just a cashier. I I don't know where the manager is, and I'm like, I'm not holding you up, dude. Like, I just want to know." And he's like, "Oh, he stepped out. Let me let me give him a call." And I and I goes, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "There's a show at 8." He's like, "You you're you're supposed to be here." And I go, "Okay." I said, "Where would you like me to perform?" And he goes, "You could stand on that windowsill 
and it was like a little ledge on the windowsill. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, all right. I'm like, do you have a mic and stuff? And they were like, no, 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 we don't have any of that. And I was like, okay. And I go, are you, do you tell all these people to leave or like, and then the audience comes? I'm like, what's the protocol? I was like, the little kids around here. I was like, oh no, we're not telling anybody to leave their customers. They're eating. And I, and I was like, and then wow. uh, and then I just called my manager and I was like, uh, so I'm not doing the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> not going to happen. And then my friend and I ordered chicken and then went over to the bar. <laughs> and they didn't even notice. I didn't even have to tell them that I wasn't doing it. I just sat in there and ate and didn't do it. <laughs> oh, wow, you should have been like, you should have, if they tried not to pay you, I would have been like, I'm a performance artist. That <laughs> yeah. was a bit. That was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just done a little act with a chicken. Yeah, that was a that was a weird. Night. I've done like yeah, I've done a weird, a bunch of weird shit like that. I mean, you know, when I was starting out, like we had, uh, um, you know, I had gigs that I would take with other comedians who would take me out on the road because I didn't do the bringer stuff for long. I got brought out by headliners, um, in the beginning. But one of them, uh, as I know, is a close friend of mine too, still. But uh, he was like, "Yeah, we got this gig in the Catskills," and I'm thinking, "Buddy Hackett, fucking, right. you know, Mortza." I'm like, "Oh, sweet." I've heard tale of the Catskills, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the Catskills aren't the Catskills anymore. So we drive like five fucking hours and I'm performing in a barn uh, <laughs> at some pig roast and everybody's in overalls and they're like, we haven't been to the city in years. And I'm like, why do you have an accent? Like a Southern, you know, it's weird. And like, I just remember this gigantic fucking dude, like wrote, like just spinning a pig on a rotisserie wow. and i was just like this is so fucked up and i did the show in a barn and yeah <laughs> and that was weird as fuck then too wow like farm to table comedy john you I did, did another in front of chickens and then yeah, a yeah. Cookie. yes exactly chickens cookie. i did another gig that a friend of mine who was a comic for a little bit she was like uh i have a friend who's looking to do i was a house gig and they were like uh it's somebody's 75th birthday and they want a comedian there and they're going to pay you like 300 bucks. And I was like, I will. Yeah, let's do it. And I was like, are there going to be kids? Like, no, it's all adult. It's outdoors. They're going to have a nice setup. And I'm like, cool. I get there. Every fucking child in the neighborhood was at this place <laughs> running in and out of the house. And I was like, OK, this is not what I signed up for. And then I was like, but whatever. I'm just going to do the gig. I get out to the porch, the backyard. Everybody is there. Everybody's holding a child. And they gave me, I'm like, do you guys said you had a mic? They had a Fisher Price mic set. I shit you not. I had to hold it in this hand. The cord was really short. And so I'm just holding this thing. And the person who was 75 couldn't hear, could give a fuck less about me. So I was just like, I, I just kept like looking at her like, you're having a good time. You know, like, and then, yeah, but it was a weird, that was another weird one. And I took the money and I left. See, all these movies that are made about stand-up comedy, that's the movie that needs to be made. I agree. That's all of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, everybody's always like, that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just shit gig after. And, and like, why they keep going. Every time I see a movie about stand-up comedy, it's like, he meets a big movie star, and he takes a liking to him, and then yeah. they're friends. And I'm like, bullshit. That dude steals material from you. Uh, doesn't pay you well enough. <laughs> leaves you for dead when he goes to fuck a hooker. Like that is not the road. You know? yeah. How do you, how do I? I don't want to turn this into me interviewing you, but how do you uh, how do you not become a a raging drug addict uh, in the comedy world today? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, for me, it was never, never my thing. And I really like, I got told early on not to drink on stage and I kind of like took it to, took it to heart because most of the guys that I had seen that I'd worked with, like some of the headliners that I drove around, I had to drive around because they had fucking DUIs. Right. So they didn't have a car. They didn't have to get anywhere, but they wanted to do these other gigs. And I was, a, I had a car. And then, um, the other thing is like, I saw comics go up with like a, um, a vice. And I was like, I didn't want to do that. I knew I was funny and I wanted to just be funny without having a crutch. And it seemed like immediately it was a crutch. So I just didn't want to do any of that. Yeah. And I just stayed away from it. I mean, it gets like wildly depressing. You're on the fucking road forever and you're not. The road is what does yourself. it. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a lonely hours when you're not. Because on stage, I get that. Sure. Uh, I want to be straight on stage and I almost always am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Two occasions when I weren't. I was going to say uh, there's a couple times where I, I definitely did it and yeah. not good times. Yeah, that, it, it's, I told uh, you about what happened to me when I got uh, one of the times. It was it was like I, I was well into my career at this point, and I did it anyway because I didn't give a fuck. And I had like a, a like a few, you know, shots in Long Island, like just a bunch of shit we were drinking at the bar because it was uh it was like some kind of giant benefit gig, and uh, I was like these people were shit faced. I mean, they were falling down the stairs at the club coming into the event. And I was like, I'm not, this is going to be horrible. I'm just going to fucking drink. So everybody, op the couple guys went up and opened for me. And then I got on there and I had a good, I had a good time. I was drunk, but I had a good time. And then they kept buying me drinks and they were like, Hey, do you want to auction off some of the prizes? And I was like, yeah. And then I, instead of auctioning them off, I just started giving them away. And I was like, I like you, you got a nice face. You get the Cal Ripken card. And they were just like, no, like they have to, they pay, they have to win. And I was like, fuck you, you get this. You get the TV and yeah, so started giving shit away. They were getting yeah. pissed, so that was fun. Well, been there. Yep, <laughs> I know. I feel like it was a better show because of it. Yeah, probably. I'm sure the audience enjoyed that, especially the people who got the Cal Ripton card. They <laughs> loved me. They were really. What's funny is, is when somebody had to go take it back. They were like, they were starting to fight with them, and I was just yeah. like, yes, I know this is terrible. I don't know what this guy's an asshole. Yeah. yeah, but that was it. But um, yeah, man. So what do you got? I mean, are you so you're doing the book and you're doing this? You know, do you do you would you would you want this to get bigger? Like, would you want it to get like and not bigger? But I mean, like, you know, would you want it to be on a on a regular program like on a serious? You know what I mean? Like, would you do that or do you like doing it in your house and you know with your own control? You're in control of the whole thing. You book it. These are questions I ask myself every single day, which is kind of why uh, uh, it's been evolved because it was two shows a day. It was basically going to be the business edition because the business edition made money. Well, uh, the afternoon edition, which was basically a lot of LinkedIn people talking pure business stuff. And I would do interviews on that stuff because I can bullshit business with anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but then, so that was making money, but I wasn't happy doing that. It was really unfulfilling. And so, and then I'd get to the evening and I would hopefully get a good guest. People like you would be great. Like having comedians on. Yeah. That nice. would get me juiced up. But then I'd get authors who just have like romance novels. It's like, Oh romance. yeah. Oh God. I got to interview somebody about a romance novel. This doesn't feel like, when I, and everything in my life ends up when it feels like a job, mm -hmm. I quit. That's my that's my mo in life. When it starts to feel like a job, I quit. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I'm kind of stepping back from the uh, 8 p.m. show to do the morning thing, 
and have more comedians on and more like uh, political people and, and things that are I'm interested in. But what what do I want from it and where do I want it to go? I'm still trying to figure that out through three and a half nice. years into this. No, that's you know? good, dude. I mean, that keeps it exciting, though. You know, I mean, it's not like it's not like you figured it out and you just can't attain it. You're just like, I have no idea what direction I want to go in. Yeah, I would definitely love to be on radio uh and terrestrial radio but then i'd have to be clean yeah um all the time like i couldn't let one single f-bomb drop and i don't know if i can do that in life anymore <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> yeah when you don't have to especially now yeah sometimes you gotta say it just for the cathartic yeah the, uh, um, yeah who, we'll who would be your ultimate guest on your show at this point you guys had him lewis black Lewis Black oh. is because he's got all of that. He's he's uh, funny, a comedian, but he's also got a smart political edge to him and insights and philosophies that interest me. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, um, yeah, that would. But you know, in the beginning, Stanhope was my ultimate <laughs> guest. Yeah, he was. I, and I told people yeah. before I started the podcast, it's like if I could get Doug, Doug Stanhope on the podcast, that would I just quit that day right. <laughs> and now you guys are buddies right i wouldn't i don't think he likes me very much but i <laughs> i like him a lot uh and but he's a very he's a very complicated guy he, he's a sweetheart of a man and uh basically uh he does a lot for a lot of people uh but he doesn't want to be known as a sweetheart of a guy he's one of, right. he, i think he he loves the idea that people just see him as just a crude angry yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he, you boy, know though yeah. you can even tell through his stand-up though where he where he you know he's a nice guy yeah 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 and, and you know but he does he has this cult following and i think yeah uh, he, he kind of tries to keep people at a, a distance just because that especially new people is like i don't want i don't need my cult growing any bigger he i think one of the lines he, he said uh on paul provenza's green room one time was uh you know, I I do my best to avoid my following. Like he saw a, a crowd gathered outside a club, and he did everything he could to walk around him until he realized those were his fans. Yes, and he, and he still kind of figured I go out of my way to avoid my fans. That was hilarious. <laughs> I remember when he said that because he was like, "Who the fuck are these people? I'm not walking down the stage." <laughs> and he went around the other way, and he was like, "They're my fans." I He's get like, that too. I mean, because I still play. I perform every week, and uh, sometimes two, three times a week, and we're in the summertime we play these beach theaters and there's like hundreds and hundreds of people that are fans and i'm like um uh is there a back way out of here <laughs> i don't, yeah, yeah. don't want to have to go through that drunk crowd of people who want to tell me how great i am right <laughs> yeah it's crazy and then they follow you home yeah yeah, yeah. they do <laughs> i had a guy i was leaving a gig uh and it was a couple of years ago, and he said to me, "Yeah, it was a great band." And he, like he did, I'm leaving with my guitar and amp, and he doesn't even know he's talking to the guitar player. Wow, that was a great band, wasn't it? I said, "Yeah, they were pretty good." He goes, <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, "Are you Matthew?" Like, wow, yeah. nobody's called me Matthew since I was like seven years old, right? <laughs> and then he goes, "Do you recognize me?" I said, "Oh yeah, you're you're uh, Anthony Mule." He goes, "Close, Tony Mule," and I went. <laughs> Anthony, Tony, Anthony, your name is short for Anthony. People call you Tony. Your name is Anthony. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Anthony. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Fucking nuts. 
People are crazy, man. That's oh, great. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, man. That's great. Um, well, listen, it's been over an hour. I got to ask you the big three questions. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I think I know what they are because I've seen your program. But... I know you have. You're the probably. I was gonna. I was thinking about that before. Where I was like, he's gonna be the only one who knows exactly what they are. So I don't know how I'm gonna answer it. I really don't. Great. So if you go back in time and talk to your younger self and give yourself a piece of advice that would help you today, what would it be? Lose the temper. Yeah. Lose, lose the temper. I mean, my temper has cost me mm. tremendously in my life. Wow. I guess that would be it. I mean, that's what I say now. If I, uh, but if I think about this tomorrow, I'd probably give you a different answer. But right now, in this moment, because of what I just reflected on, that would probably be the best answer for, nice. for this moment. Um, second question Goodness. is: What had to end in your life, good or bad, for you Everything. to wind up where you are today? Everything. Yeah. Everything. I'm all, I'm lot. about endings. Endings marking a new beginning for me. The only re ending I regret, and I don't want to get too heavy on, on people and, and get in depressed people or any of that. The only ending I regret is my son's death, uh, his, uh, his life, the ending of his life. Right. But it wasn't a necessary part of his life. It, it's part of, you know, part of everything that, that we all go through. And, but I've always defined myself by, I, I think I described so many endings here tonight on this program. And, yeah. but there's more. And so my life is one continuous uh, string of endings that lead to something else. So everything, every ending is important and, and means something. And it's important in your life. Death is a, an important ending because if, if it weren't for death, we wouldn't get out of bed. We'd have no yeah. reason to do anything. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So, um, it teaches us a lesson. So every everything, that's what had to end everything. Nice, <laughs> man. <laughs> um, and the last question is, uh, if this is a true dystopia, alien zombies, comet headed toward Earth, how would you want your epic death? That, uh, that Russian bomb that vaporizes people instantly. I, I thought about this the other day. I mean, we talked about it with a friend of mine. And that's the quick, because you don't feel anything. Vaporize means the minute the bombs drop, boom, you're gone. You're yeah. done. Yeah. I don't, that's quick. Make it quick and easy. I don't let me see it coming. Wow. You know, people say, I want to die in my sleep. But that's never really as peaceful as it It's peaceful from the outside looking in, but you don't yeah. see the suffering that's going on inside. It still takes a while. Uh, again, having a background in pathology, I, I know about death a little bit. But right. uh, vaporization, yeah, it's all you don't see it coming. It's it's the Sopranos ending. Wow. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> fade to black, not even fade, just. Yeah, cut to black. Cut to black. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on, dude. I really oh, no, appreciate thank it. You. Thanks for always I, having I appreciate us. It. On. I feel like uh, you guys have the best guests of any podcast out there, and the, tonight your, your audience must be going like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you were they a blast. Took the man. night you off. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, though. And it's always fun doing your show, too, dude. It's always interesting. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Both of you guys, anytime you, you want. You. It's going to be morning, mostly, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm fading out the uh, at the eight, the nighttime show. Yeah. So, okay. And you guys can own it. You guys can own the night. Oh, great. Nice. And then I we're going to visit you, Mind Dog, with Coffee with the Dog in the morning, right? Yeah, that's what it name? is. Coffee with the Dog everywhere. Facebook, MindDogTV.com, mind uh, YouTube, Twitch, all of it. 
Bring two yeah, places. Awesome, man. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll plug the show and everything. Your episode will be out in a week, and uh, I'm gonna steal these drawings and use it to plug the show. So cool, awesome, <laughs> awesome. great, man. Thanks, Thanks so man. much, man. We'll definitely Peace. do it again. Bye. Dystopia tonight.